Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Father God, we've just sung that you are the everlasting God. You reign forever. And I do pray tonight, as many coughs and splutters in the room can hear it, uh, feeling, uh, some of us feeling ill, some of us feeling overwhelmed. Lots, I'm sure, going on for many of us. I do pray that we would hear you the everlasting God tonight, that we would know your promises are true and sure and that we would rely on them and have a great hope in your son, Jesus Christ. So speak to us today, tonight, and please, Father, would we listen and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting a sort of a new series. It'll be a new series for some of us, for me, certainly, but not for many. Um, This time last year, And I'm sure you'll remember it all. You're well-schooled, and I'm sure you remember every word. This time last year, we were looking at a series by faith, uh, and starting off in Genesis 12, and working our way through. And so we've had a little break, and we're starting back into that in Genesis 21. What is faith? Faith is simply believing and living by the conviction that the promises of God are true. So it's not some say it's not blindly hoping in something that you're unsure of. It's not something mystical. It's not incomprehensible either. No, it's much, much simpler than that. It's simply believing God. It's believing what he said and living in accordance to that. We, we can read in Hebrews 11 verse 1, hope, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, the Christian awaits Jesus, awaits Jesus coming back. We await it in faith. We believe he's coming back because he said he is. And we do it in faith, sure and certain. Not yet able physically to see it, but firmly believing it. And that's really the thrust of uh, our series as we'll be walking through Genesis. We step in now into the ancient Near Eastern world in Genesis 21. And we are reminded God is gracious and he always keeps his promises. And we have plenty of evidence to believe him. Now perhaps this week you have been doubting your faith. Are my struggles now as a Christian worth it? Is it all worth it? Should I instead work as hard as I can to live as comfortably as I can now? because this is all we get? Are the Advent promises really true? Will Jesus really return? Am I really to have, fear, have no fear in death? Because it looks very final. If you go to a funeral, been to many, it looks very final for many from where I'm sitting. Is it really true? that we need no fear in death. You might have seen this week, Friday night, the Billy Connolly documentary. He's got Parkinson's disease. It's taking over his body. And he, in many ways, it's admirable, his attitude to it. He remains defiant and upbeat. He says, old age is an adventure and death a preparation for a next episode in the spirit world. But how can he know? Can he be sure of that. See, the statement, it provokes more questions than answers. 
And if you're a Christian here this evening, well, does a Christian have any more grounds for their faith? Well, let's have a look. And together at Genesis 21, where we engage with a God who makes it very clear he is a God who keeps his promises and he has great plans for those who believe him and live for him. So we have the tale of two brothers, just to give you a bit of an overview of where we're going. We have a tale of two brothers, verses one to seven. Isaac, the promised son, is born. And then in verses eight to 21, Ishmael is the other son. Well, he's expelled. Ishmael, the other son, is expelled. And then we have this border dispute with a king in verses 22 to 34, and we'll briefly look at that, and then we'll close with some application for us here today. So verses 1 to 7, Isaac, the promised son, is born. So we're introduced to our main character, Abraham, back in chapter 11. He was Abram back then. Abram was told by the Lord to leave everything he knew Leave it all behind, his home, his people, his family, and go where God would lead him to go. And the Lord makes this wonderful promise to Abram. We looked at it this time last year. Promised Abram in chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation. However, the text makes clear there are a couple of serious problems in the way. So Abram and his wife Sarai had no children they could not have any children because Sarai was barren. Abram was already 75 when he set out on his travels and he wasn't getting any, long, any younger. And the big question really, would God make good on his word? Could God make good on his word? Abram and Sarai, they waited 10 years after these promises in Genesis 12, the old people's home is looking like more suitable accommodation now than the maternity ward. They decide to take matters into their own hands. At this stage, Sarai gives her slave girl, Hagar, to Abram, and she bears him a son, Ishmael. And the plan at that stage seems to have worked. Really, God's promise of a great nation could now be fulfilled through Ishmael. But then as we go through the narrative, we go through the text, chapter 17, we find this isn't how God's plan would be fulfilled. Abram and Sarai then get name changes to Abraham and Sarah. Abram would be the father of many nations, and it would be through having a son with Sarah that this would happen. Now, Abraham at this stage is 99, and Sarah is 90. Well, doesn't God know that the world doesn't work like this? Zimmer frames and mobility scooters aren't sold in the same shop as pushchairs and cots. It doesn't work like that. Abraham and Sarah understand the impossibility of the task, and their reaction is one of incredulity. Abraham and Sarah, they both laugh. That's the response. They laugh at the idea. It's ridiculous. So they've understood the impossibility of the situation, but they haven't yet understood the God who can do whatever he wants, whatever the circumstance. And his promises are a sure thing. Well, the tension of the narrative is picked up again in chapter 20. Abram risks the mother of of the promised child 
Sarah by regrettably passing Sarah off as his sister for her to be added to the harem of the the neighboring king, Abimelech. And then in chapter 21, where we are tonight, well, we see all conflict overcome. So that's risky, immoral maneuvering, old age, very old age, barren wombs, verse one of chapter 21, the Lord is gracious to Sarah. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. You see, the Lord is gracious and he keeps his promises. So while most 100-year-olds are settling down for an early night, music and a nightcap, what we have here, Abram is out finding the best deals on nappies, setting up the bottle sterilizer, getting the dummies, the cot, the soft toys. Isaac has come. So this 100-year-old, Isaac has come just as was promised. The details of the passage as we look show Abram's desire to faithfully obey God. He calls him Isaac as instructed. He's instructed in that in chapter 17, which means he laughs, probably both reflecting the parent's previous laugh of unbelief, but now the laugh of joy at receiving such an incredible, unbelievable blessing. And on Isaac's eighth day, well, Abram adds to his credentials. Not only is he the world's eldest father, he now becomes the 100-year-old surgeon, too, as he circumcises the boy, just as he is told to do so. Sarah is understandably overwhelmed. Verse 7, we have it here, what's happened Who would have said it? Who would have thought it? That they could give birth. Sarah could give birth to a boy. Abram, the 100-year-old, could have a child. But God, he ventures forward in whichever way he sees fit, despite what anyone else thinks, can or can't be done. It's him that sets the rules. For the Lord is gracious and he keeps his promises. No circumstance can prevent it. So the evidence here, it's overwhelming in this first section of our chapter. He keeps his promises. But in a world full of sin, and specifically in a world full of sinful people, wherever joy is to be found, well, sin will not be far from it. Rejection and jealousy and anger, hurt, insecurity, selfishness, ill motive. And that's what we see here in these verses between 8 and 21. See, off the back of a joyous birth of a son, will we have the expulsion of another son? Ishmael here is expelled. Time passes, and on the day Isaac is ready for his first Mush, banana, avocado, and asparagus delight. Abram held a great feast, as was custom then. I think it makes, a very, very, it makes perfect sense to hold a feast for a child that eats all of that mush, just to show them what it's worth pushing through that, just to get the steak um, at the end. Anyway, Isaac's, Isaac's weaned, and they have a feast. And we hear again of Ishmael. We haven't heard from him for a little while, but we hear again here. A teenager now, so he's about 16. We're not told what he does to Isaac, 
but we know it's not kind. Sarah is furious. She doesn't even give Hagar and Ishmael the dignity of name. Verse 10, we've got this slave woman and a son and her son. And we know from chapter 16 that there's been deep animosity between Hagar and Sarah since Hagar's pregnancy. And now Sarah wants rid. She wants rid of them. And she demands that Abraham expel them. So from the joy of a new baby and a celebration feast, well, Abraham's happiness now turns to sorrow as he is faced with losing his eldest son. And again, it provides God with another opportunity to remind Abraham of his promise to him. His offspring would flourish. And although, yes, Isaac is the child of God's promise, Ishmael too is Abraham's blood, and he would bear a nation as well. The Lord is gracious, and he keeps his promises. And here again, we see the pain of human foolishness, but the grace of God, despite our efforts to mess things up. And we're good at making an effort at it, messing things up. But we see God's grace here. And the New Testament is very clear that Abraham lived with a terrific faith in God. He did big things that were not easy to do. He did trust. He was a man of faith. He devoted his life to obeying him. Romans 4 tells us, Romans 4.18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He gave us so much to follow, but he erred with consequence along the way. And we see some of the consequence of broken family life in this section. So Hagar, the Egyptian slave, she probably came um, into Abraham and Sarah's possession through the act of disobedience. So in chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah entered Egypt under the pretense of being brother and sister rather than husband and wife because of Abram's fear that he would be killed for Sarah's beauty, that the Egyptians would want to take her and they'd remove Abraham out of the way. So in fear, they say they're brother and sister. Pharaoh then marries Sarah and he honored Abraham as the beauty's brother, as his wife's brother, and gives uh, lots of gifts, uh, including servants. And so because um, of the lie that Abraham told, well, he's given this wealth, the servants, and as I've already mentioned, well, then later Abraham sleeps with Hagar and she falls pregnant. Hagar then despises Sarah for treating her so, and Sarah responds with cruelty, And we now find, in this chapter, we find Hagar sobbing in a desert, sent away with insufficient supplies. She's alone. She's not even able to comfort the one person she loves because she can't bear to watch him die. You see, the consequences of sin are grim and they are bleak. But again, we see God come to the rescue. He reminds her, Hagar, of the promise he made to her 14 years previous. I will so increase your descendants that they are too numerous to count. You see, Ishmael too would be a father of a great nation. So God provides, you've read it here, God provides food and drink for them and he grows strong. The boy grows strong. 
The consequences of sin are grim and they are bleak, but the mercies of God are warm and they are rich. See, despite the mess of the process, made difficult through human failure and a hunger for control, well, Abraham's two boys here, they are provided for. Boys who would be blessed with growing families that became mighty nations. God is gracious and he keeps his promises. And then we have this final incident in verses 22 to 24, this border dispute with the king it concludes with this little tete-a-tete. Well, it's not quite that as Abimelech has traveled with his army commander, Fikul. It appears that they want to, to pay Abraham a neighborly visit. Acknowledge that God is abundantly blessing Abraham and just to check that the intentions towards them will always be honorable. You see, as Abraham grew in number and in strength, well, Abimelech, it makes sense, doesn't it? He wanted to make sure they were clearly on friendly terms. So no middle-of-the-night land grabs or any such things. No, we're friendly terms. We're neighbors. And Abraham, well, he satisfies the request. He swears that he and his family would do right by them. And as they were taking the opportunity to get things off their chest and clear the air, well, while we're, still, while we're here and talking about this, well, it seemed a right then for Abraham to air his concerns over a well that Abimelech's servants had commandeered and they sorted out, we've read it, they sorted out, they make a treaty with each other and Abraham offers gifts and they depart as friends. Abraham then, at the end of the chapter, he plants a tree which would have provided shade for the well but also it would have been a very visible sign of Abraham's ownership here and significantly he calls upon the name of the Lord. He gives the Lord the credit for his sons, yes, but also the land. You see, the eternal God who does not change, he is the eternal God, the everlasting God. He does not change. He keeps his promises yesterday, today, and forever. He keeps his promises because that's who he is. That's his character, his nature. He has provided Abraham with an heir, land with clear borders to dwell in, and peace with the neighbors. So he is indeed to be praised for all these things. And the faithful Abraham, well, he does so. He praises him. He doesn't look to his own cleverness. He doesn't try and rationalize it to circumstance that he maneuvered into. He couldn't. It was clearly of God, and he praises God for it. And as we close, let's bring it together with some points of application for us, because I know it's, it's not completely obvious how this all applies to us. Well, can I just say, I've got three, four applications. First one, if you are a Christian here tonight, these are the remarkable circumstances with, in which God brought about the origins of his family where you, if you're a Christian tonight, are one of. This is your family history and the remarkable circumstances that he brought about. Through Christ, you have been brought in to this family. So the remarkable circumstances of Isaac's birth, well, it demonstrates God's commitment to us. The nature of the father, 
the nature of your Father in heaven. He is gracious. He keeps his promises. And he has promised to us eternal joy and peace to all those in the family. So feel privileged tonight. Feel special for you are in this special family. And this God, well, he looks after his own. If you're not yet a Christian tonight, well, this is the family that you are invited to come into. You see, believe God's promise that no matter what your background, whatever you've done in the past, however you've lived, whatever you think God makes of you, well, all he asks is that you are sorry for rejecting him and you trust that Jesus Christ's death 2,000 years ago brings you eternal peace with your maker. You just believe it and live in accordance to his will. You're in. And he invites every single person in this room tonight. He invites into this wonderful family. And you'll be given a deep joy for it. That's number one. Number two, our sin results in consequences both for us and for others. But to underline, it does not result in eternal death for the believer. You see, the Lord is gracious. Christ's grace is sufficient for us. And we are to have faith that God's promises are true. See, the bedrock of the believer's life is that God is faithful. There is nothing and no one else we can say that about. But it is true of him. And I ask tonight, apply it to whatever fears you carry tonight, whatever fears you've brought with you. God is faithful. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And he will come again to make all things right. The laughter of Isaac's birth, well, it is nothing compared to the laughter Christ's birth brings, the laughter of joy. Sarah asked, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Well, we ask tonight, who would have said to a sinner who has rejected a holy God that they would have a perfect, loving relationship with him tonight? Who would say such things? Well, that's number two. Number three, you may very closely be able to empathize with the web of deceit and betrayal here in this story that has led to Hagar's situation. I've been in Northern Ireland over the last week on holidays, and I was coming back on the boat on Thursday night, Wednesday night, from Ireland, and I overheard a horrible conversation, to be honest. It was a boy, he was about 10, sitting behind me, and he wanted to buy his mum a present with his Christmas money that he had. And he was met by scorn and ridicule from his dad and his stepmom, who, who were with him. His mum wasn't there. His dad and his stepmom. Why would you want to go wasting your money on her? What about us? What a ridiculous present. Anyway, the boy was in tears, A complicated, horrible family situation that brought much pain. And for some of you tonight, you may feel tangled in a web of complexities in your own lives. Some may be of your own doing in the past. Some very much not. 
Well, the God who showed great kindness to Hagar is the same God who will show kindness to you tonight. And you can turn to him for help. And he has given you a church where you can ask for help. And I encourage you tonight, don't do it alone. Don't suffer alone. Ask for help and know that you have a God who deeply, deeply loves you. That's number three. Number four, never underestimate what God can do in your life. Never underestimate it. You see, the same God who brought newborn cooing and gurgling to a pair of old fogies, well, he can radically work in your life too. So that means, A, if you're struggling with sinful, repetitive habits of behavior, you just can't help. You can't seem to drop them. That's what sin is. Sin is addictive. We keep doing it. And we can often feel defeated by it. Well, can I encourage you tonight? Don't give up and don't lose heart. Abraham, he had to wait 25 years for Isaac. God can transform you in ways you may have given up on a long time ago. Keep praying and keep battling with your sin. You'll not become perfect this side of heaven, but he does want to grow us. And this God can grow and mature us. So don't be discouraged. Keep going. And B, if you feel at the moment that you have lost heart, that you perhaps are now without purpose or direction, you've maybe grown lethargic, would God can still bring you this fresh enthusiasm, this vitality as you serve him. It may be in the very small things that he does it, but keep expecting him to grow you into the likeness of Christ. Keep engaging with him. We've heard Andy say tonight about reading God's word, praying with him daily. Well, keep engaging with his word, even when you don't feel like doing it. The same God who heard Ishmael's cries, well, he hears ours too. And even if we don't know when he lacked or what it will look like, will be encouraged because there is no better person for you to turn to. He is the gracious God who keeps his promises. So be encouraged tonight. Let's pray.